Go for it. Okay. Um, well, you've asked me to say who I am and what uh, I suggested that we talk about. So, uh, who I am? I'm a barrister. So, I guess think courtroom lawyer, judge, jury, wigs, gowns, all of that. I was um, really ready for you to say judge, jury, executioner, but do go ahead. <laughs> Shush, we don't talk about that. Um, so I've done that for about 10 years. And uh, about two years ago, I left practice, I left the bar and I moved into teaching. And I now teach the students who are preparing to take the bar exam in England. So they've done their law degree and then they come to us. So a huge part of what I teach is courtroom advocacy, public speaking. So obviously there is a huge amount of overlap between what you do as a stand-up, I think, and what I do. Although generally I shouldn't be being funny, although often inadvertently I think I probably am in court. Uh, oh my God, yeah, okay. No. Already I'm thinking, obvi- you use the term obviously, there's a huge amount of overlap. It's not obvious to me, but uh, I mean, <laughs> really? I, I, I suppose... Well, I, I suppose there is. I would, um, yes, I, I think probably most comics fancy themselves as able to ace that sort of thing. But I think <laughs> I'm probably healthily pessimistic about my ability to genuinely be of use to anyone in that sort of situation. Of course, there I is think, overlap. Absolutely. Well, I don't know. See, I'd most really could disagree with you on that because we both stand up and talk. And do you know what? Actually, when I jotted that note down this morning, I suddenly went, oh, stand up. That, that's where it comes from. Um, and it's about... <laughs> such an idea. Um, but I think, you know, we're both about standing up, talking, getting someone's attention, holding a room, getting your audience to trust you, getting people on board with what you are saying. If you can't do that, you know, you failed. And equally, if I can't do that, I failed. So... I think, you know, the, in that sense, there's, there's a lot of overlap. Um, and I see yes. that there is as well in the things where we fail. So I am completely familiar, for example, I think I said this to you before, I'm totally familiar with the concept of dying on your ass in front of a room full of people. God, what an astonishing thing to hear a barrister say. Yes, of course, of course, absolutely. Yeah. You're trying to make a point, people don't buy it, and you sit down feeling squashed and deflated and thinking, well, they all think I'm an idiot, and somebody's going to priz. (laughs) (laughs) Or even worse, you have to stand up and keep going, which is what you have to do. Oh, good point. Oh, God, yeah. There's a there's a bit in a show that I used to do where I would briefly, I'd have a moment 10 minutes in where I, I just would necessarily cover my eyes as part of the show. And in that moment, I would feel very alone during yeah. some shows and think, God, there is, there's a lot more show to go. <laughs> I'd have a little second to check in with myself. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Keeping going much harder than walking off stage. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It's something that James Acaster does. Um, so if he has lost a room, because I've seen him done, do this when he's testing out new material, if he's lost a room, he will sort of break that fourth wall and go, right, you didn't enjoy that, did you? We're all going to sit here until you find me funny. And so, <laughs> so I mean, I don't know, we've kind of gone into this question already. I was going to ask you, how, yeah. how do you get a room back on side in the highly unlikely event that you've lost them? That is, uh, thank you very much. What a polite question. And um, that is exactly the sort of question that I, I've been hoping people will ask on the this strand, which I can't keep calling it you interview, Stu. It's so self-involved. I'm going to think of it called something else. But how do, you, how do you cope when you've lost a room? How do you get a room back? Let's take this to bits live and, and see how we do. One of the elements I think is absolutely, as you said in that example with James, it's acknowledging that something is up. 
Because if you don't acknowledge something's up, the room knows that something's up and you look weak or clueless mm. for not having acknowledged what everyone knows. Mm. You can overdo that. And I, that's a particular challenge of mine is I really get into the minutiae of, oh, now you've lost me. Nope, now, now I've lost you. Now we're back. You know, and that can get very tiresome. I, yeah. I kind of, if I'm struggling, I can, I can lean into that too hard. But um, certainly some aspect of, some element, sorry, of um, of acknowledging that there's a problem. You need to you need to sort of prick the tension. Yeah. The tension in a room I think of as like a giant bubble, and it can kind of you need to be in control of that bubble. And if it has become eggy, you need to burst the bubble and then restart to kind of start from scratch and reinflate that little bubble mm. under your terms. Mm. Can I just um, say so something I saw John Robbins do actually? Something really. Oh similar. sure, sure. He came out to a smallish gig in Bristol. And you know how he's a great compere, and he mm-hmm. just came out and looked really dazed. He was not with it at the start of his set. And he came out and made sort of four or five really nondescript comments, and everyone was not with him. And he just suddenly went, this is not the amazing chat I'm usually known for. And everyone, you know, it's exactly what you said. Everyone just got it, and we were back on board with yes. him. And it took such balls yes, to absolutely. say that, though. Listen, I, I did a, a gig in York two weeks ago where it was a tour show and my tour shows get a touring show audience. It's not like a comedy club audience, but this was on a Saturday night, like a commercial audience. Right. This was on a Saturday night and I walked on and I couldn't see them from backstage, but I walked on and half the front row were a Hindu and they were all wearing sashes. And I'm about to do two hours worth of, you know, funny, but some of it quite fragile or yeah. delicate or meaningful stuff yeah. about my family you know and I and I it threw me into a tailspin and I spent the first two or three minutes of the gig going so guys are you in the right gig do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. and, and of course I'm assuming yeah. I'm assuming that my audience are behind me that the rest of them are behind me and they weren't at that stage because yes. I just walked out and had a problem yeah. and hadn't reacted to it in a funny way I chatted to them a bit more I then said okay, what I'm doing here is driving this perfectly, potentially brilliant show into the ground and creating a problem where no problem exists. And that got a laugh because I'd managed to nail the 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 specifically what was going on yes. if you manage to describe specifically enough exactly what has happened then often simply the description will get a laugh because you've gone yep that's what we were all thinking mm. it's like observational comedy in microcosm it's like here is here's a thing that we haven't all noticed that we've all noticed about what's literally just been said yeah and how do you so reset that- emotionally then as a person without having a meltdown very good question again. Um, and uh, I think that you need to have optimism. You need to have self-belief. And those are the hardest things to, to maintain when things are tanking. If I have a gig that's going well, I'll write six new jokes on stage that night and re- come back, listen to the recording and go, thank God I recorded that because yeah. I was just flowing. How do you get back into that position of flow? You have to laugh at yourself, I think. You have to remind, you have to, there's a couple of strategies, I think. There's, there's bully your way through it by just being, like Rod Gilbert described this to me. He said he just, he just reaches, smashing everything around until he gets to a laugh. He just smashes through everything right. until he gets to the laugh. Like he will override what you're saying. He'll interrupt you. He'll just keep going until he gets to something funny. That's one way of doing it. And he's, he's brilliant at it. Mm. Um, there is, uh, I suppose, you... Oh, I, I had two other good ones there and I'm, I'm floundering now while I try to remember what they are because 
you interrupted me twice and I'm, uh, I'm feeling like I'm being brilliantly cross-examined. <laughs> oh, I'm meaning that. I meant that. No, no, no. I meant that in a really nice way. It was really funny. I wanted to point it out at the time because you were like, this is all very well, Stuart, but what about this? I was like, brilliant. Um, Keeping you on track. No, Keeping you focused. You, you must. You must. I asked you to and uh, I'm glad you're doing it. Um, so there's the smash everything down to get to the laugh uh-huh. technique, I guess. Um, there is also how you believe in yourself to find something funny i try to remind myself of the ridiculousness of being here um to get the laugh to get the sparkle back in my eye because they can tell you need to do something that makes you genuinely enjoy yourself again because Mm. then they read that you're genuinely enjoying yourself and you would be amazed how quickly an audience forget that it was eggy like I, I'm super sensitive to an audience. I think I probably am a little bit naturally, and then I've honed that over years, and that's a, a strength of mine in some respects because I can smell when something's gone wrong, when mm. something needs attention. In some ways, it's a weakness because I can really get caught up in that and do a big head job on myself, which means something indifferent in a different country. <laughs> I must not use the phrase, um, but um, I could do a big kind of mental number on myself yeah. by going, "Oh, they're not liking this." Where often. Nope, they're just still tense and you can actually make that tension work for you. If they're still tense, you can remain in control of that tension and then pop it and they'll go, oh, actually, this is fine. And then immediately forget it. Another thing you can do is remember that people, people only, an improviser told me this, people only tend to remember the brilliant things you improvised and they forget the four shit ones that it took you to get there. Mm. It's, it's almost a Darren Brown sort of a technique, you know, like those kind of mentalist magicians where they, they make lots and lots of offers and you only remember the offers that landed. Mm. And actually, you know, like psychics probably do this. They go, they knew there was a Terry. And like, they didn't know there was a Terry. Terry was the fifth name they said, but because Terry was a score for you, you forgot the four names before that. Yeah. So there is an element whereby you can believe in yourself just structurally, like you have the confidence, you're up there, you're in charge. So believe that they will... Crowds love a leader. That's a thing I learned street performing. Individuals <laughs> are clever. Crowds are stupid. Crowds are idiots. Crowds are an idiot. That's not crowds are idiots. Crowds are an idiot. And, and individuals are clever. But if you stand up and say, ladies and gentlemen, everyone look over here, everyone will look over there. Yes. Because yeah. if you are confident mm. and... I mean, I'm, I suppose, quite a charismatic performer and that's so I employ that, but you don't need to be charismatic. If you aren't naturally charismatic, then simply being confident is, is a big part of that. So I'm yeah. sure when you feel, oh, this is tanking, probably a good checklist would be um, it probably isn't anything like as bad as you think. Record yourself and listen back to it and you'll realise quickly that not only when you thought you died on your ass, you didn't do that badly, but also, distressingly, when you thought you were brilliant, you were only quite good. Yeah. <laughs> That's the kind of the, the miracle of listening back with hindsight. So the checklist internally would be, you're, it's not going as bad as you think it is. Mm. And then it's try to, in, try to remember to enjoy yourself. And then it's be confident and employ a strategy. As soon as you have a strategy. I once saw Phil Nickel turn a terrible audience into a brilliant audience by telling them they were a brilliant audience. He'd do a big joke at a big kinetic act, Phil. He'd do a big joke. It'd get next to nothing. And he'd go, woo, you guys are amazing. And I was like, why is he saying that? No, they're not. And three minutes later, they were. Mm, So not that that's directly applicable to a courtroom situation, but I think the the bones of that. Am I right, Joey? Am I right? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Are we guilt? Can I get a guilty? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, no, it doesn't. um... (laughs) I have always wondered about that, actually, because um, you see, pretty much every gig that I've ever been to, um, the performer will say, you've been a great audience, one of the best. So there is a huge amount of lying clearly going on. But that's interesting to hear you say it works. Well, um, I, I will often at the end of a show say, this has been so much fun. But I'm never lying when I say that Mm. because it just puts me in a brilliant, giddy mood where I'm having so much fun when Mm. it goes well. I do know a pretty... I won't talk about a specific individual, but you can get pretty disingenuous compares. There is someone fairly well-known on the British circuit who always says, you guys are mad. You guys are weird. This is the weirdest crowd I've ever... You know what I mean? If you've seen him, you'll know what I mean. This is the weirdest... God, this, this... You know, and really it's a segue so we can get into some material about people being weird. Yeah. But it's something that always happens. And that, I believe, is a bit disingenuous. Mm. I try to be honest, but often I'm honestly really enjoying myself. Equally, I, you know, sometimes it's funny. You come off stage and the last thing you say is, ladies and gentlemen, this has been a struggle. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And again, you're being honest and they reckon, yeah, you look like you struggled. We all struggled together. Yeah, which is... Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if there is something that can be taken just from that, you guys are great. Mm. I wonder if there is a useful thing that would work in court. <laughs> I think really the, the, the message of you guys are great is... I don't know. I always imagine that. Is it some sort of chicken alien character from Futurama with braces going, now I'm not a, I'm not a city gentleman, <laughs> you know, like the, the lawyer kind of thing. Um, I wonder whether there is an element of they become what you tell them that they are. And actually, if you as a, as a lawyer say, you are decent, honest people, probably people will think, yeah, we're all, you know, as a crowd, they'll, as a jury or whatever the situation is, they'll go, yeah, we're all decent, honest people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think you can, you can imprint something on people. You can create a sense of community amongst a crowd. You can turn a disparate group of people into a crowd by telling them that they are a community of people. Mm. That's interesting because you can definitely do that with a jury. You definitely can't do that with a judge. They are in charge of you. Absolutely. <laughs> That's that. Yes. You're a, you're a great judge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I get a bang with your little hammer yeah, thing? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Send him down. Yeah, absolutely. But then, but equally, that's probably good. That makes me feel comfortable about the justice system because judges should be impervious to the vagaries of... Do you know what I mean? Who says, it's a, it's a bugbear of mine. Why are, why are we happy to follow charismatic leaders? Yes. Someone's charisma does not mean they've got good ideas or a good soul. Yeah, whereas it's fine to brainwash a jury. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Isn't that weird? <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's actually something that... This is horribly out of order... But I was going to talk about that snippet from Compared to What. Um, Yes. And there's that lovely bit where you draw the audience into your confidence. Um, So I don't know, is this a good moment to insert that clip? Yes, let's have a listen to it now. As a result, some of them have got quite sneaky about road safety, which I do appreciate. I think it's cunning. I wish I'd, uh, I wish I'd come up with this myself. Your average motorcyclist will very often try to dress up a little bit like the police. Right? They can't impersonate the police, can they? That would be illegal. But they can put like a, they can have a white helmet with blue and white checks on it. Just enough that an approaching driver goes, I'm going to fuck him off the road. Oh no, maybe not. Maybe it's a cop like that. <laughs> Sensible idea. Some of them will go as far as to wear a neon jacket with big block capital letters across the back saying, Polite. Have you seen that? <laughs> like you're going to go, right, I'm going to take him out. Oh no, he seems nice. That's fine. Now, I think that's sneaky. I admire it. But every time I see that, and obviously I don't want anyone to be involved in any sort of an accident, 
Every time I see one of those, I cannot help but fantasise about arriving at the scene of a motorbike pile-up, driving a van that looks like an ambulance. <laughs> I'm sorry, look, I'm sorry, I'm a parrot medic. I'm a paramedic. I only do exotic birds. If you've broken your wing, I could fix your wing. No, I'm sorry, that's all I can do. Have some seed, have some seed, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, so the the, yeah, go, the go point I was making is about this brainwashing of people almost. It's too harsh, but in this context... Oh, you're going to point out a thing. I'm supposed to go on, go on. It's, it's, <laughs> I think it's good. I think it's great. So in the first bit of that snippet, it's just you, your voice, playing it straight, and the humour comes from the observation, right? And then there's the act yes. out of the, oh, no, he seems nice, and you've got the humour coming from the character. But the really interesting bit for me where you're sort of brainwashing your audience is that next bit, where you say, I cannot help but fantasise about this motorcycle crash, which is a horrible thing to be saying. <laughs> but because you've lowered your voice, everybody kind of leans in to listen. And because you've invited us into this sort of naughty secret subconscious, we all go, yeah, no, we have those secret thoughts too. And I just think oh. that's really interesting. Yes, I suppose that is, um, that's a really interesting observation. I suppose I, in that bit, what, what I remember from the inside about doing that bit, which was a very, it was at the beginning of, it's near the beginning of that show, cause it, and I think of it, it's like the second or third big joke of that show. Yes. And it was a very reliable joke. Yeah. And um, yes, I would, always, I would always preface it by saying, Obviously, I don't want any anybody to be involved in an accident, mm. you know, in a, in a slightly perish the thought kind of way. Because I'm, you know, I'm not Jim Jeffries, I'm not Frankie Boyle. I'm saying, <laughs> look, I'm, I'm a good person, and we are about to. If you look at it, absolutely, we're about to say, I fantasise, you know, I I I hungrily imagine a motorcycle accident happening, you know, for the purposes of this funny idea. So I suppose what I'm trying to do is give them permission to laugh yes. and reassure them that I'm a good egg, and look, no one's going to be hurt by laughing at the components of this joke being smashed together in a funny way. Yes. So, yeah, I suppose I am doing that. I'm, I'm trying to... I'm absolutely trying to get them to lean forward. Yeah. yeah, and I think the vocal techniques that you use are quite telling as well. You slow down... Oh, love, go on, tell me what... Tell me what go on. <laughs> so, well, this is part of my job. When you end up teaching these things, you sort of have to break down what these poor students have said, sentence by sentence... And so you sort of, you lower the volume, you slow down a little bit and you get ever so tentative, almost like this, like a child, as though you know what you're saying is naughty. And then you get away yes. with it. <laughs> yeah, I suppose so. I mean, part of the getting away with it is that the joke is satisfying. Yeah. Um, and yes, I do do that. Like, it's interesting because I must have, I, I definitely am aware of myself employing certain techniques I probably just don't know what those techniques are and I've never had anyone write them down sort of transcribe them and then pin me on them in the way that I often try to pin people you know, my guests on the podcast on the main podcast um you know I will often go now you do this yeah. or you know I've noticed you do this so it is interesting being on the receiving end of that but yeah I think from let me just let me just get get my body back into what I would say and that's a good point the act out an act out is an area in which I'm very comfortable mm. and I'm often very creative in an act out 
And that's quite, that goes against my expectations because I wanted to be a great joke writer. And actually I'm funnier when I have a silly idea and then embody it. So these days I've learned to just try and give myself opportunities for act outs rather than try and finish a joke, just try and get in it and see how I'd behave in the joke. So that's a side note. Um, again, might not be useful for court, but let me just think. So <laughs> well, when I'm saying Alfredo, that, I'm sort of definitely a useful character. For yeah, court. <laughs> I use him all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this this case is going going up the tubes. It's gonna go, this guy's gonna get twenty five to life. It's time to employ naughty Alfredo. Um, I think. Um, what do I say in that? Let me just sort of try and feel it. Uh, if this isn't infinitely self-indulgent on a private <laughs> podcast where I invite people to interview me about me. Um, I've gone through some sort of wormhole. Um, uh, I think I say... Now, obviously, I don't want anybody to be injured, but I can't help but fantasising about arriving at the scene of a motorcycle pile-up. Yes, and I, I absolutely am. I'm slowing down, aren't yeah. I? And I'm, I'm, I'm not whispering, but I'm being conspiratorial. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're right. The volume's important. I'd never noticed that. Yeah. And um, and I'm being uh, sort of slightly pretend formal. Mm. I'm almost going, now, these are the terms and conditions yes. under which it's allowable for us all. Now, obviously, you and I, we would never laugh at something like yes. this. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's the, if I, get, if I embody the, the tone of voice in which I'm speaking, then yes, there's definitely an element of, now, look, you certainly wouldn't, not, it's not just, I'd never say this in public. I'm saying, now, we both know that this isn't really allowed. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's a, it's, 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 I'm not just saying I'm, I'm going to be a baddie. I'm going to say, look, if we're, if we're honest about this, we all think this. Mm, totally. Yes, so it has, it's a kind of a seduction. Yeah. And that's interesting that you just went into that naturally because one of the things I wanted to ask is if you did that five nights in a row, six nights in a row, would it be more or less the same each time? Or would you be playing around with it? Assuming it's not a work in progress anymore. On a good night, I would be playing around with it. Mm. And on a night where I felt like I was... Like at the Edinburgh Festival last year, I had between 140 and 165 people almost every day. And it was the best run of my life. It was really electrifying. And every time I played the show, I I don't think I had a bad show. Mm. I really don't. I had such a good month. And 26 shows in a row, I... I just ended up finding something new almost every day in, in each bit of it. Mm. And then you find a new thing and then the next day you try and recreate the new thing and it's slightly less satisfying. So I have to try and remind myself to not recreate the thing that worked, but what, was, what worked was the visible discovery. So discover something else. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, that's the standard to which I aspire. On the tour I've been doing, I, uh, in which I'm sort of doing right now, um, some of them I've had, you know, 100 or 200 people in a room. Sometimes there's been a venue where I'm, I'm new or I haven't successfully built a fan base and there's only 40 people there. Mm. And when there's 40 people, if it's like last night, 45 people in Edinburgh, small room, really fun atmosphere, really daft. Again, walked out, strange environment, a bunch of um, very young, Ameri- like 20-year-old American tourist girls totally not the audience I was expecting, totally didn't understand a bunch of references in the early bit of the show, really put me on the back foot. I struggled, I wobbled and came up smiling, right? So it was a really sort of fun atmosphere. But um, in some places where there's only 30 or 40 people there and they're a bit older, they're kind of art centre mailing list people, they're not fans (laughs) of me particularly, they're just trying a thing, which I love art centre mailing list people, but they're different to fans. 
then in those environments, I think I, I discover less because I shut down a little bit more and I, I kind of lean back and rely on the script. And then if a bit of the script doesn't work, then I resent them and try and do the next bit of the script harder. And that's <laughs> not a great solution. You know, I'm sort of describing a bad gig there. I wouldn't say that's by any means the standard. But that's the trap I fall into. So in, in a good run, on a good night, yes, I would try to discover something different every time. And I'm getting better now at, rather than writing precise sentences, I try to write funny ideas where it doesn't have to be these specific words because the idea is funny the act out is funny the opportunity to discover stuff is funny and then I discover something fun and we all enjoy it oh that's interesting so that's a change from how you used to work to now yes I would think so I've been discovering that over the last four years I would say I kind of got a first inkling of that four or five well inkling a long time ago but really to employ it yeah, in the last four years, three years really. Um, Extra Life was a show I did four years ago, and that was still very scripted. And they have become less scripted since each one, less and less scripted since then. And to be honest, the tour show at the moment I've done ninety times, and I really there are bits of it where I discover something new every time because the idea makes me laugh so much even now. And there are bits of it where I'm like, okay, we need to get through this bit. You know, this is a sort of horrible thing to admit, but there are bits where I'm like, I have to say this in order to set up that. I've grown slightly tired of saying it. And really, I should, if I was touring this show for two years, I'd, I'd keep rewriting this bit. But actually, I'm writing a new show and that's occupying a lot of my creative energy. So this bit is just script that I'll do to laughs, yeah. but it won't have the same magic as, as some of the magical bits. Yeah. But then there are some bits which do rely on particular words. So I suppose you have to yes. hang everything around them. Is that how it works for you inside your brain? So well, the one I'm th- not really... Sorry, go on. I was going to say the, one, the thing I'm well, thinking of is your bit about the DVLA and getting permission for motorbikes these days. Um, yes. And the phrase is something like, no, no, we just fu- they just fuck around in the traffic. Or <laughs> they just fuck about in and out That's of traffic. It. Well, see, yeah. you know it. You know it word perfect. Yes. And so I imagine yeah. there are things you have to hang everything else around. Is that is that right? Well, yes, but I mean, I, 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 yes, there are certain sentences, but I wouldn't say that I hang everything around them anymore. Right. Sometimes in the old days, I would need to make sure that the setup contained component A, B, C, D, and E in order to get to K, which was the bang. Mm. I know that that's not sequential. I'm assuming there's other <laughs> components as well. Um, and um, but I don't. So I would. I would used to hang things around them. Now, like that, and that's a good midpoint. That joke, um, uh, and the the context of we we won't play the clip for that one. But the context of that is I'm talking about um, uh, coming up with the idea of motorbikes, taking them to a governing authority. If you invented them now and saying, look, it's a it's like a car except it's only got two wheels and you go on the outside. Isn't that really dangerous? No, because you go twice as fast as everyone else. Right, presumably on some sort of special track. No, no, you just fuck about in and out of traffic. Just freestyle. (laughs) That's normally what I would say. And having said that, I can recognise in my voice the rhythm. Yep, that's the rhythm I'd perform it in. But, no, you just fuck about in and out of traffic would also work. And, no, you just just fuck about in and out of traffic. You know, there's a couple of different ways you can play with that. And I guess it would depend, like, if the audience are really behind the bit and I'm just flowing and freewheeling everywhere, mm. then I'd be more inclined to take risks with things like that. And, and also, it's the words fuck about that are funny. Yeah. There's, a, there's a, like, the premise is the concept is funny and the, 
fuck about. There's just something, yeah. like, do you know what I mean? The K <laughs> of the fuck is funny. Yeah. And, and you just, you know, like the more I fuck about as I describe fucking about, the better. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And the context of that being within an application to the GVLA as well, that you would use that language is also, it's great. Good point. Genuinely never noticed that, but absolutely. I'm sure you're right. And I'm a big believer in the artist not knowing everything about the art. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't feel bad to have never noticed that really obvious point. Yeah, really. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. Well, from a sort of idiot's non-comedian point of view, there's something I've always wondered. Four phrases like that. Do you sometimes... Sorry, that sounds like a rival podcast of mine, the idiot's (laughs) (laughs) non-comedian. Sorry, dig one. Sorry to interrupt. that. Um, th- this, I just wonder this. Do you sometimes sit at home saying phrases out loud um, in different, with different emphasis, different tone? Because I would do that if I was practicing my submissions and it was a really key part. I would be rehearsing it out loud. Or do you wait for that to happen in front of the audience? I I do both. I do both. I try to leap in and have it happen in front of the audience. It normally is more likely to happen in front of the audience if I've written a few versions of it and not decided on one. That's something I think Mike Gunn said when I interviewed him years ago for the pod. Um, You know, you write down the specific wording and then you forget it, but a version of it comes out. I'm just trying to find... uh, There's an example that I did this morning. I was writing something on my new show... And um, what's the sentence? Um, there's, a, there's a particularly good example, which let's... Oh, here we go. So I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm writing a bit about the fact there's a squirrel in my loft. And what I'm trying to do in one sentence, like the, the journey there of describing the squirrel and how it gets better at climbing up this bit of the loft every morning and I can hear it and it's improving itself as I lie there. I've set up that there is wiring in the ceiling that the, that the squirrel is gnawing through. Mm-hmm. I've set up that I don't... Earlier in the show, I've set up that I don't exercise and it's really worrying me and I'm doing nothing about it. And I've set up that I'm... The show is basically... The new show is sort of about um, effort and how everything that's good in life costs you and that feels pretty unfair. <laughs> um, I don't know what kind of a message that is, but there it is. <laughs> so I've set up this, 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 this squirrel is getting in, wire, chewing through the wiring. I'm... I've got two options, which is either to uh, get, sorry, I've got two options, which is either to do an incredible amount of work, smash a hole in the ceiling and get in and then block up the way it's getting in and then close the thing again, or I can do nothing, guess which one I'm doing, (laughs) right? That's the the sort of setup, that can sort of go anywhere. And then what I'm saying is, and I wrote this, I wrote two versions of this, I wrote, so every morning I lie there motionless and wheezing, listening to a rodent self-improve as the lights in my house go out one by one. (laughs) So what I'm trying to do is for that one sentence, that's got quite a lot of components loaded into Mm. it and it needs to simultaneously resolve. It's a callback to my lack of exercise. It's it's, tw- it's a tweaky callback pointing out that the squirrel is exercising and getting better every time. And it's a reference to the fact we've established it's chewing through the wiring, um, which means it's more bleak that I'm lying there as the lights go out one by one. That has mm. a nice poetry to it. So I wrote that and then I, I tried it out loud several times and, um, and then I've written on the script, or this... So every morning I lie there motionless and wheezing as the lights in my house go out one by one, listening to a rodent physicalise a metaphor about self-improvement. 
Now, that is a big load of... That's like four jokes now. Yeah. It's all the ones I mentioned before, plus this additional joke about, guys, I'm, I'm, I've noticed that this whole thing's a metaphor, yes. <laughs> you know, which is a very meta joke, even if there were no other components. That may not work, but I'm going to try it tonight. And what I'll do is... Now, I'm not, lo I'm not looking at the script now as I talk to you. I've just turned my head away from the script. And I will probably end up saying something like, so I'm lying there every morning listening to a rodent gradually improve its circumstances while I lie there motionless and wheezing and all the lights in my house go out. So that just came out as a version yeah. of that. Probably it's too wordy. Maybe the whole routine will get cut because I'll end up obsessing about it and not improving it. it there are too many balls in the air, A, for me to cope with and B, for an audience to really be able to latch onto. But... If I do it another five times, I might boil it down to eight words and it could be mwah. So I will wander around the place saying that or a version of that out loud or give up on it. Well, don't give up on it. Well, it made it, it certainly made me laugh the first time you said it, and I knew what was coming the second time. But it worked. Yes, that well, that's true. But in the in the version I told you, I didn't do the joke to you. I said, "Here are all the components," mm. <laughs> and you know, and as a result, you were loaded mm. in a way that the audience isn't quite. I was going right. Look out for this clue, this clue, this clue, and this clue. This sentence ties those four together. Whereas I would need to deliver that. In fact, you know, oh, if I could. If I can be bothered, I will get me saying that tonight yeah. at the gig. I'll get the recording and put it in this because that would be really interesting. Yes. But I'm not going to promise that. <laughs> so I'm also going to do a version of this where I don't say that. Or you could get super so, yeah. meta and explain this evening that you've explained this to someone uh, on a ComCom pod today. And then you're having to explain it to them again. I think that's why I got it. I believe... I believe you're the lady who uh, watches 240 live gigs a year and as such you are no longer able to determine what an audience will get or not I think that's right. <laughs> you're like you're like you're like an old rope audience yeah. you my friend are a false positive <laughs> i've lost my mind i think yeah um well Quite should we go you, on you, something completely no, different so you don't lose your absolutely, mind yes. on, um me completely breaking down your comedy no, I love it. I've, of course, I love it. And I'm enjoying this enormously. But yes, by all means, let's talk about it. Well, there's two things. I can either ask you one more question about pace and pauses and letting the audience work yep. things out for themselves. Or yep. um, we can go back to something I wanted to ask about hiding nerves, because I know a lot of people will want to know about that. Let's do both. Let's okay. do pace and pauses while we're on it. <laughs> all right. Um, well, there's, it, we're going back to motorcyclists. I promise I'm not obsessed by them. Um, and it's the final, it's the payoff of that joke. And I, I'm sorry if I'm going to ruin it for anyone by talking about it now. But it's where you, oh, no, no, no. you say, um, and I want to turn up driving a van that looks like an ambulance. And then you just stop. You let the audience work it out for themselves. Yes. Yes. We, sh we should say at this point, um, we, we didn't include in this episode of the private podcast the clip that establishes what's going on in that joke so the comedian in me is going oh we're doing the punchline with that having done the feed line Claire yes I'm sorry that's absolutely fine this bit is about my annoyance at seeing motorcyclists wearing jackets that say polite in a font that is supposed to look at a glance like it says police so that other drivers it's like a, a legal scam that's beneficial you know it's kind of a benevolent scam whereby drivers give motorcyclists a wide berth because they think they're policemen so that is the setup. <laughs> so do go on, sorry. <laughs> what he said. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I was just observing that you don't even need a punchline almost. Well, that is your punchline. But you just stop and you let the audience work it out for themselves. I love those the jokes. The question is, them. how do you decide where that's okay? 
And how do you just think, no, I've got to give them an answer because they're idiots? It's, I mean, ultimately trial and error because whatever decision I make about it, I could be wrong and I will find out that night or the next night or the night after that. Mm. So I certainly at this stage have an instinct for it. Oh, do you know what? There's... um. There's a, there's a perfect example of this in my new show, but it might be the final joke. <laughs> so I don't really want to give it away now. But yeah, okay, using this example. Yeah, I'm saying uh, I'm arriving at the scene of a motorcycle crash wearing a van that looks like an ambulance. Some people are laughing because they're like, ah, oh, he's going to do the same thing to them. Like they, they get it before everyone yeah. else. And they like, there are the components and they assemble it. And then yeah. I then have the additional, almost a backup punchline, which is really wearing a jacket that says parrot medic. Yes. So, which is a ludicrous... God, that was a lovely bit, that bit. Um, It's a ludicrous... uh, It's something surreal, but it's kind of just within the bounds of possibility that if they're going to say polite and mean police, Mm. I could say parrot medic and pretend to be a paramedic. So, but yeah, it is ultimately, I have an instinct for it, but it's trial and error because if my instinct is wrong two nights running, maybe I need to tweak it and then, you know, you'll you'll just try it a different way. And uh, you can you can tell because people start laughing. And mm. sometimes some of my best jokes happened because I had a big, impenetrable, dense joke like that squirrel thing with too many words in it. And I thought that was my big punchline. But in describing my way to that punchline, everyone started laughing. Mm. And then I did the punchline and they stopped. And I go, oh, I've, what I think is the feed line is actually the punchline. And I'm a much more reactive writer than I am proud to admit a lot of the time it's throwing shit at a wall. <laughs> there's a bit there's a bit in the show that I'm touring it like I mean it, where I talk about a businessman with a rucksack wearing, uh, you know, we've all seen that in the morning, a guy in a suit wearing trainers and a rucksack, and I do a little act out of him marching along, and I go, yeah, I'm going to work, but I've got options. And then that gets a laugh, mm. and then I go, I'd be the him again with someone heckling him in the street, going, what's in the rucksack? And he turns around and goes, soil, and then marches off. And it's one of my all-time favourite moments because I don't know why it's funny, but it's always funny, even if the audience don't like me. The idea that there's soil in the rucksack is always funny and no one knows why and it doesn't make any sense. And that's sadly the stuff I'm best at (laughs) and I'm not in control of it at all. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's a very honest answer, isn't it? And it's utterly unhelpful for anybody who's trying to well, stand up. Well, I mean, maybe, when you're beginning. Sorry, but, but maybe what could, be, what could be helpful about it is that it's the result of taking a risk. Yeah. It's, I've, I've unearthed an absurd, beautiful little joke there. And just because I don't understand, it's that thing about the artist and the art. Just because I don't understand it doesn't mean it's not funny. It was an impulse that I had and I, I have trained myself to follow those impulses despite the fear so I'm fucking taking credit for it (laughs) (laughs) have you tried other things in the bag I have I have I think the origin of it being soil was I had this idea about I'm a businessman uh yeah I'm going to work but I've got options and the idea was that it was going to be I think initially it was soil because he was tunneling out of work he was tunneling it you know he was like I've got options because every day I go to work and I never said this Every day I go to work, I'm gradually digging a tunnel out of work and I'm smuggling the soil out in my rucksack like the Great Escape. That's the beginning okay. of that idea. And whether yeah. that, that is a deliberate joke. And maybe it does connote that or some version of it. I don't think people are just laughing because it's a random word. I think when we see someone disguising the fact that they're carrying soil, that probably does on some level 
vibrate a little note of, oh, like he's tunneling out of somewhere, but in a way that doesn't, it doesn't get in the way of laughing at the absurdity as well. Mm. Oh dear. Well, that, I, didn't, I wasn't there with that one yet. So I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> I, well, I don't know either. I genuinely don't know. And I, I, I'm now in a very uh, um, self-indulgent way often when I do that bit, I will stop and laugh and say to them, I don't know why it's soil either. And then that gets another letter in here. So I'm yes. just, I, I kind of revel in that in a very, yeah. very indulgent way. Yeah, that wouldn't work in court. <laughs> I, I don't know why this is right. It just is. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, but would it not, would it really not work if someone in the middle of a, and I don't know the terminology at all, but if you did a good bit and people laughed, is there some version of being able to look at them and go, yeah, that was a good bit, or that was quite funny. <laughs> you know, or is that, I don't know, maybe that sounds, saying it now, that doesn't sound right. But I'm sure that... there are ways that you can relish the fact it went well and consequently have it go even better. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I certainly wouldn't be trying to involve um, a joke in it unless things no, of course, really of badly. Um, but you, I think you're but, absolutely but I... right, actually. I would definitely be saying, you know, if the judge is with you, you'd kind of be sort of nodding and going... Yeah, I know. It's obvious, isn't it? Um, yeah, you'd want, you'd want a conversational form. topper. If you yeah. were going after someone, he said, you expect us to believe that you did that and you actually made a phone call whilst both your hands were in your pocket. And that got a bit mm. of a laugh. And you say, I mean, what, have you got superpowers? Or just something like that. You could do a little, a little topper, right? Uh, in, in, that vi- in that vein, yes. You, you couldn't yeah. give the superpowers thing, but you're absolutely right in that vein. You would remark sure. on it being incredible if you were cross-examining someone. Um, yeah, you probably you... wouldn't then look at the jury and go, that was a good little remark. <laughs> <laughs> Beat, mic drop, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> probably not ideal. Um, well, we were going to talk as well about um, nerves and hiding nerves. Yes. I, I don't know if you've ever had this, uh, but a lot of people, obviously, starting out... They all want to know how to disguise nerves. And that's the same for my baby barristers. That's the same, I'm sure, for many starting out stand-ups. I don't know if you've had that and what you feel gives away nerves in other people and whether you've got any advice for people as to how they can avoid that. Absolutely. When I did my first ever stand-up gig, I will never forget looking down and seeing my hand literally shaking. I had so much adrenaline in me. (sighs) Um, there are mm. little technical tricks. Here's a thing I do based on Charles I, who famously, did he wear two shirts because he didn't want people, he didn't want to tremble in the cold as he went out to be executed. He didn't want people to think he was scared. I never have ice in my drink. If I take a drink on stage, I never have ice in it because if it clinks, they might incorrectly read that I'm trembling. Now, that wow. might be bollocks, but it's just a little rule of mine. Don't put mm-hmm. ice in the drink. You just don't want anyone to, th- to hear a clink. Um... So there are little daft things like that that I'm sure people have versions of. Um, The big one for me is to remind myself that it's not fear, it's excitement. And I will sometimes say to myself, this is a warm bath. When when you're about to go out there and you can hear the audience and the the, the, the 20-year-old new act who's on in the middle is taking the roof off with a load of local stuff and you're like, oh, God, how am I going to follow this? Do you know what I mean? (laughs) You sort of feel bitter and and tired and like, oh, God, they're not going to like my fragile stuff about my kid. You know, the, the thing to remind yourself is, hang on a minute, you're not scared. This isn't fear. This is excitement. 
And even if you're lying to yourself, you can try to convince yourself that that, you know, that, that, that fight or flight response, the big adrenaline yeah. dump that you're experiencing, you can interpret that in different ways. Like there's no need to be afraid because the thing is at worst, it all goes horribly wrong. <laughs> I mean, that's not like Phil Kay said, how bad is that? You know? Yeah. Um, so, so to remind yourself, I'm jittery. And, and my body, my mind is confusing my body's jitteriness for when we're scared. But actually, that's a, that's a cognitive error. We're not scared. We're excited. This is going to be great. This is going to be like stepping out into a warm bath. Please welcome, Stuart. And you walk out there and you're like, yeah, you know. Mm. So, so that forms part of it. Imposter syndrome is the other one. The bit you go, God, I shouldn't be here. And I'm yeah. fond, I've said this on the podcast before, but... My favorite method for dealing with imposter syndrome is to smile, recognize you're doing it, smile at yourself, congratulate yourself for recognizing it. Oh, I'm doing that again, and I've clocked it this time. Good work, me. And then if all else fails, remember your values. I don't remember who told me that. I'm, I'm so grateful to them. If you think I am absolutely on a, if I'm on a bill with eight TV comedians, and I don't know how I'm on this bill, and oh God, no one's heard of me, what am I going to do? It doesn't matter. I believe in comedy. I believe in it. And I'm sure that works for the law. You know, that's, I, I'm here for the mm. right reasons. Even if I'm not the best person for the job on this night in front of this people, I do believe in, I believe that I'm doing the right thing. And it's better mm. for the other people involved, in my case, the audience, in your case, maybe the, the client, what was mm-hmm. called? Um, mm. the accused. It's better for them to have someone who believes in them than it is to have someone who's glib and smooth and high status but maybe their heart isn't in the right place. Yeah, that's a lovely way of building your confidence internally, that fake it till you make it approach as well. I try and encourage them to believe that. I say, look, if you, can't, if you don't think you can do this, choose a barrister that you think is great, or even just a performer that you think is great. Imagine you are them and go out and do it and keep doing it like that until that is just you. Yes, that's really interesting because obviously in comedy you can't do that because you don't ever want yeah. to be doing an impression of someone else. But I yeah. do, I completely understand the sentiment. It's like, it's almost like you could, you could adapt that to a comedian by saying, imagine you on your best day. Imagine mm. me, imagine how funny I am when I'm talking to my friend Tess. She just thinks I'm hilarious. I'm always hilarious when I talk to Tess. I'm that guy. And go out and mm. do that. Mm. I try and teach them as well some kind of vocal techniques that help them mask what might be going on otherwise with their voices or fidgeting or things like that. Mm-hmm. And one thing we talk about is landing the end of your sentence. Because when people are nervous, they often sort of trail off towards the end. You know, they trail off towards the end of the <laughs> sentence. And yeah, you, sure. It indicates, it gives away that you're terrified. And so we practice that sort of thing. And again, is there anything similar in, in comedy, voice projection, especially in street performing? I imagine that's really different. Yes, I imagine there is. I suppose a lot of those things I do, I do naturally. I've never really had a problem with getting people to pay attention to me in public. Um, I don't think I've ever, I don't think anyone could level the accusation at me that I don't appear to believe in myself. Um, but I think certainly I can, I, I have certainly seen in comedy, I've seen people and gone, God, this person's great, but they talk so fast. Mm. You know, this person's got that joke didn't get anything like what it deserves because they just gabbled the punchline. They're so desperate to get to the next bit 
They're mm. so desperate to keep proving how many funny ideas they've got. At something apparently Al Murray says is that however slow you're going, slow down. And I said that's a good thing as well. It's a good thing to remember is slow down. Mm. Let them sp- speeding up is often read as a sign of nerves, even if it isn't actually you being nervous. And and again mm. at the at the comedy store in London, which is one of the it has one of the highest quality controls of any gig in the land, the the acts who really kill at the comedy store often walk on, say nothing, walk on slowly, get to the mic stand, don't take the mic, look around, and then lean into the mic and go, Good evening. And you mm. go, Whoa, hello. This, this mm. person knows what they're doing. And the young, excitable acts run in and grab the mic and go, hey, guys, how's it going? Yeah, like that. And you go, all right, well, let's, let's see what you're selling. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting because I would recommend the same if you are in court. You want to wait until everyone is listening to you and then you begin. There's, yeah. you know, no one messing about on their phone, still shuffling papers, your opponent's doing this, the judge is still, you know, drinking coffee. You wait mm-hmm. Everyone is focused on you. You take your time. If you're not ready, don't start. And the number of people who start a sentence without knowing what the end of that sentence is going to be and Uh where that sentence is going is unbelievable. So I always tell them to have their first sentence formed, ready to go in their mind. And their last sentence? Oh, I see what you mean. Their first, yes, so they know what the end of the first thing they're going to say. Yeah, I think that's really smart advice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and weirdly, that is very much at odds with what I do. I, I know the first bit that I'm going to do, but often mm. I'll walk out and go, good evening. You know, I, one of the, a, a knack, a trick for comparing a room is to, uh, to walk on without knowing what you're going to say first, because it means you mm. have a live encounter with the audience. But I suppose that's, mm. that's not a thing I'd say to someone in their first year of comedy. Yeah, absolutely. And that, actually, that echoes what I would say. So for the ones who are just beginning now, the ones I'm training, exactly that. And then later on, when you're doing cross-examination after 10 years, the last thing you should do is have it scripted. But at the start, you need it scripted. Otherwise, you will dry up. Yeah. 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 Um, Do you have time for a couple more questions? I have got got six minutes. I've got six (laughs) minutes and then I'm sorry. Yeah, I've got to have um, uh, uh, an interview with a radio no, with a with a yeah, with a radio thing for uh, uh, Torsha. That's exciting. Um, okay, it's well... absolutely not. <laughs> it really is so much about like oh, you're getting interviewed. It's so like <laughs> nine times out of ten, they're really dull interviews. And now that I'm an interviewer, I can really spot bad interviews. <laughs> I know. Really, and sometimes oh, if they're polite, if they're polite and it's a bad interview, I'll steer it into a good one. And if they're a dickhead and it's a bad interview, I'll just let it be a bad interview, which is an awful thing to admit. <laughs> I don't, I don't know whether I've been a bad interviewer or a good interviewer. Oh, no, I don't mean you. No, 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 no. You've been, you, no, 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 you've been great. What I mean is people who are by rote kind of going and now more content for my radio show slash podcast slash, you know, newspaper yeah. thing. Someone who actually doesn't care about you at all has no interest in, you know, they're basically the opposite of what I try to do with the pod. Well, I'm just doing this so I can fill up my advocacy teaching sessions for next year, to be honest. Ah. <laughs> no, I'm really joking. They'll kill me if I teach them basically. <laughs> Solely. Um, okay, so well, there's sort of two final questions. Yeah. Um, one is about what verbal tics you would recommend people avoid. Oh, uh, God. Okay, so yeah, absolutely. So you talked in the previous uh, pod about um, dropping the C-bomb really early doors. 
yeah. am I right? That sort of thing, you know, comedians laughing through bits that aren't funny. So yes. what do you find irritating? What marks out the newbies? That sort of thing. My friend Hazel gave me some brilliant feedback. She said she's a theatre maker and she said, I fancy you more when you don't laugh at your own jokes. And I was like, oh, that's good feedback to give Stu. <laughs> <laughs> that's sort of packaged in a way I can work with. Um, so uh, uh, laughing at your own jokes is, a, is one that I really can't stand. And I tell you something yeah. that ruins, uh, once you spot a comedian has this tick, it's so hard to watch them. People who laugh at them, uh, no, it's not laughing at yourself. What it is, is it's, it's and, uh, and what it, what it makes me think of is that it reminds me of being at school and someone trying to, what, what it is, it, it's someone will say a joke and then they'll go, and, um, like, you know, they'll, they'll feel oh, trapped. Yeah. Someone will heckle them and they'll go, yeah, well, the reason I'm so fat is uh, every time I shag your mum, she gives me a biscuit. And, uh, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And they'll, yeah. they'll do the joke and then they will reveal how desperate they are to move on by yeah. squashing the opportunity for the person to respond by going and, uh, or, or an equivalent version of that. So that's a really important one to look out for because I think it, it's weighted with a lot of information about how that person sees their place in the room. Um, a lot of yeah. subconscious information they're programming the audience with. So that's a, a particular bugbear. Um, yeah, laughing or snickering at yourself. I mean, I do. Sometimes I just laugh at myself. <laughs> it's, oh, like that, like that. Oh, God, that's not nice. And what I try and do now is if I catch myself doing it, I try and turn it into a, a not a different noise, but I will at least try and call myself out on doing it. Yeah. Um, what other... Uh, what other sorts of things? You mentioned one or two there. What were the ones you mentioned? Uh, well, the laughing, but the, the comedians who laugh through when it's not funny to kind of oh. mask it and encourage people to laugh along with them. Yes, or, or um, something my wife pointed out that I sometimes do, I've tried to eliminate, is the difference between saying, I go down to the shops and I do this whenever I see a melon. And saying, you know when you're down the shops and you see a melon, you know when you find yourself doing that? It's what I'm doing there is saying, I don't believe that we all have this experience. Could you please mm. confirm it for me? Mm. So, so that's, you know, being definite mm. is, is a good one to, to aim for. Mm. Owning. What yeah, think I think so. Funny. Yeah, absolutely. Looking at listening back to, and it would be very interesting. I cannot be bothered to sit and write it all down. But if I get someone to transcribe my new hour and I'd look at it and go, God, I do always say that. I should eliminate that. I do always say that. Say that. I should eliminate that. God, now I've had that idea, Claire. I'm going to have to do that. It's going to be done. <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry. <laughs> no, no, absolutely fine. That it's all, all uh, risked to the mill. Um, well, I suppose the final thing that I was going to ask, this is a horribly general one. Um, okay. What do you feel you know now about public speaking that you wish you'd known at the start of your career? Oh, great. Um, the thing is, I did my first street show when I was 16. And I, I, I definitely I remember just having the ability to make people stop and pay attention to me. So I always had a bit of a thing, some sort of facility with public speaking. What do I wish I knew back then? Um, oh, it's too good a question. I'm under the pressure of the time now because I'm looking at the remaining <laughs> minute. Um, what do I wish I'd known? Just. I mean, is it something about just even how to project your voice or is it about finding your comedic voice? No, or? do you know what it is? For me, it's absolutely that. It's For me, it's you don't need to perform. Stand-up comedy isn't, 
a performance in some ways. I naturally am a big out there, out loud, standing in the street, shout at me performer. That was all my training. That was all my self-training was to go, hey, it's all big and everyone look over here. And it's much more, like we said about being quiet, it's much more fascinating to see someone be fascinated with something. They always say in street shows, there's two ways to get a crowd. You can stand up a ladder, take your shirt off and wave a fire torch around, or you can just start being interesting. And that's the best one. You know, so in, in comedy terms, I think you don't need to walk out there selling to them. You can just go out there and just be yourself, honestly and calmly, and trust that people will go, oh, right, yeah, I'm into this. Don't go out there and someone, my old acting tutor years ago, said to me, don't spend all your pocket money at once. And I think I've just <laughs> realised what he meant. I think that's a good realisation to finish on. Thank you. Thanks, Claire. Thank you. Brilliant questions. Really, really enjoyed that. Um, I've been doing a thing where I've asked people to send me a brief biog or if they have anything to plug. I don't know if you have, but you can either say that now and we'll, it'll go out on the episode or, you, or this is just me asking you uh, in a recorded fashion to email me something. Or uh, <laughs> equally, if you'd prefer to remain anonymous because of your job, that could be exciting too. <laughs> uh, no, all of that's fine. I have nothing to plug. Marvellous. Who, who hasn't got anything to plug? <laughs> when was the last time you well, met someone with nothing to plug? <laughs> well, if you want me to encourage people to go and do a three-year law degree and then come and do the professional training skills course to become barristers, I can insist that they try and do that. But unless they've got a spare 60 grand, <laughs> That is an incredible... It. I mean, you know what? You only need one customer <laughs> with that kind of fee. <laughs> I also have no vested interest in that anyway, so... Um, no, I don't have anything to plug. Thank you very much, Claire. Yeah, cheers, Steve.